0: Proud Mouth. Hello and welcome to another Be Your Own Loud podcast presented by us here at Proud Mouth. I'm Matt Haller and, of course, your host. This show has a very simple foundation to meet amazing people who have risen above the noise, who are unapologetically themselves and embodied being their own loud. Using these interviews as inspiration, our purpose is to help you amplify your voice to become the subject matter authority you are meant to be.
1: Be Your Own Loud.
0: Today, our guest is Brent Baldwin. Now, he is a founder of fractional CMO, Father and husband, and we're going to dive in more deeply about what all of that stuff means, but he's been in the industry uh, as a marketing director for over 20 years, and we are going to dive into what he does and how he helps people like you create a magnetic brand that will attract the right clients directly to you. Brent, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: I always start off with the same question, Brent, which is I I want to know a little bit more about your journey. So let's talk about how you got to where you are, and then we'll talk about
1: where you are right now. Yeah. So uh, my journey actually starts as a failed architect. Um, I went to school to be an architect, and um, for some reason, I love structure too much. Um, And I I don't understand that as, as (laughs) as going to an architecture school, how you can like structure too much um and somehow i kind of bounced around and bounced around and bounced around and fell in love with this thing they call marketing Mm -hmm. um and uh after school um kind of realized that i said yes to everything that somebody threw at me um and it was great because it allowed me to try out 20 different things um and and one of those things that i really loved was research and the question why Um, an incredibly uncomfortable silence, you know, asking a question and letting it linger um, and not feeling like you need to fill that dead air or that silence. Um, And and from there, that really just led me to kind of understand what why means. And we're so obsessed with who and what and where as a culture, but we never really think about our why. Um, And so, as you mentioned in the introduction, great opportunity to work with some really amazing brands. I was at Cartoon Network during its renaissance and most recently the Harlem Globetrotters and just done a lot of really fun stuff in the kid and family space. Um, but everything goes back to that question, why? So,
0: How can you or how do you recommend? Do you just use silence in your discovery process with clients or do you use silence in marketing specifically?
1: Um I, Primarily with clients and discovery. And, and it actually came from, I was a focus group moderator for several years, living out of a suitcase, traveling the country. Um, and you would ask this really big, insightful question. And you've got eight people sitting around a table and they look at you with this blank stare on their face. And, and our instinct and our intuition is just to fill that silence with well, let me ask that in a yes or no phrasing, or let me close the aperture of what I'm really trying to understand and make that question easier for you. Um, and what I discovered and what made me kind of a better focus group moderator was just sitting there and letting them digest and think a little bit. And so as I help brands build out their strategy and understand their DNA of their organization, sometimes it's just letting it sit and letting it percolate and let it stew a little bit. And sometimes that's a couple minutes in a meeting. Sometimes it's, a couple weeks or or days or whatever, um, I think there's an opportunity for silence in your marketing and in your messaging. Um, But I think the way that you can be silent in this organization is when somebody already knows what you stand for. And so even though you're not being loud and being vocal in that moment, they know where you stand. On a particular
0: topic. Well, let's dive into that a little bit more deeply. And and, and we're, we're, we'll get to a bunch of other questions. I just have to chase this rabbit because it's yeah. fascinating to me. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, how do you have your voice linger so that you are there without really being there? Because, okay, so, you know, rising above the noise and not contributing to misinformation is a huge component of what we believe here. How... And you're talking about doing that. I mean, that's like a huge piece of what I just heard from you. Uh, Help me with that. Give me a little bit more on that, please.
1: So uh, my belief is that when customers clearly understand what you stand for as a brand, you don't have to constantly remind them of that with a stunt or with the publicity or with latching on to whatever the flavor of the month is. So you know, if you think about, um, at least in America, about once a month, we've got it is African American history month, or you know, in June, we're right in the middle of like LGBTQ month. And like, and every brand just kind of like changes their LinkedIn picture to a rainbow flag or something. And in theory, it feels like you're supporting something that we all need to be supporting. But I know that on July 1st, you're gonna go back to your regular corporate logo or whatever the flavor of the month is for July. Um, but if you take a brand like Patagonia, for example, I mean, their purpose is to be a change of social good. Everybody knows that. And so they'll periodically do something that reinforces that and makes it really, really evident during the election cycle last year with kind of their tags, vote out the assholes. I mean, like it was very clear what they stand for as a brand. And it's so powerful that it lingers that they're not now doing stunt after stunt after stunt after stunt month after month. They let their voice kind of rest for a little bit because it's kind of ever present. It's like those really, really, really important things your mom said to you when you were little, like she doesn't have to remind them to you now, 20, 30 years later, because they're ever present in your mind and resonating when something comes up. Now, I,
0: I I was on TikTok a little while ago and I actually don't know if this is reality. I was going to research it before, um, today's show, because I wanted to ask you this, but um, I think it might be a joke, but it might not be, uh, which is McDonald's CEO just increased their profitability by $600 million. And somebody said, well, how did you do that? And they said, well, I stopped marketing. Because when people drive by McDonald's, they know what we do, right? So I let's talk about that. You work with big brands, right? I mean, now McDonald's is more than just a big brand, right? I mean, they're part of our whole ethos as a country here. But should somebody like McDonald's just realize that they don't need to be shoving stuff down our throat so much because we they are in our culture and we drive by and we know who they are? What do you think about that?
1: They could, but in the example of McDonald's, they trained us to know that we have to always be aware of whatever their marketing is. So if you think about a new product launch, the only way we know about something new is because you can't escape it on digital and on social and on traditional TV. So <clears throat> they could, there would be a huge decrease in the revenue for a period of time. I mean. First of all, nothing's real on TikTok. That should have been kind of your first group. Everything's fake on TikTok. I mean, everything on social in general is fake, but especially TikTok. I mean, come yeah. on, the cranberry juice ocean spray guy. I mean, like, you know. Um, but taking $600 million out of McDonald's marketing budget is like a blip. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like Jeff Bezos handed you a $100 bill or something. I mean, like, they're still going to spend 4 or $5 billion in the U.S. alone, probably. Um But I I think the way that you can do that is if your brand is built differently. And unfortunately, McDonald's has built their brand around consistently being ever-present in our minds and feeling that the the awareness of the McDonald's brand alone is not enough for them. It has to be really high awareness of a drink promotion or a beverage promotion or bringing back properly.
0: Uh, just, how, how do you build a? I mean, people look at these juggernaut huge brands and they say, well, I need to market like them or I need to have a brand like them. You just threw a hitch in the get along there, my friend. You, <laughs> you're talking about building something different. What are you talking about building that?
1: I'm, I'm talking about building a brand in starting with your why and going out to your what. I mean, it's Simon Sinek's classic yeah, golden yeah. circles. I mean, like if you if you have a clearly defined why? that stands as your brand DNA, it makes you like gravitational. It makes you magnetic to that core brand lover that you're looking for as a customer. And as somebody that, you know, is going to buy your goods, your services, your products. Um, It's something that allows you to overcome having to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build that brand. Um, It's, it's, it's long, it doesn't happen overnight unless you go viral on TikTok or something um, and kind of hit it big. Um, but it creates longevity and it creates sustaining marketing as opposed to transactional, flash in the pan type blips. So,
0: no, you you talk about. The, the being magnetic, so everything that you just said there leads to this magnetic feeling that people are attracted. And part of what we want to do here at Proudmouth is to turn skeptics into fans and magnetically again attract your ideal client and prospect to you so that they will opt in and buy. That's like what you do.
1: I need you to unpack that some more. <laughs> yeah, so to me, being magnetic says i have to be uncomfortable with how or i have to be comfortable with how uncomfortable this is going to become because i have to so laser target who my brand lover is that i'm willing to not market to my quote target customer let's take somebody like sorry go ahead no yeah. that, i'm ooing because
0: yeah. that's like
1: take, take her brand lover before go ahead take somebody like harley davidson as an example their brand lover is the is the male affluent who is badass and rides his hog and is dressed in leather head to toe and everything um and all of their marketing is laser focused on that because the person who's actually really buying their product is me the suburban white dad that wants to be badass on the weekends while he's parenting and working and cooking and all those things during the week. Um, full disclaimer, I do not own a Harley Davidson. My wife would divorce me if I ever brought home a motorcycle. Um, but, but I think you you get it. It's, it's that I aspire to be that brand lover, even if only for a moment. And it makes a brand like Harley Davidson so magnetic and irresistible to me even though I'll probably never buy any other products. I, I won't, but people like me will. So, Right. Okay. So we
0: have taken people through uh, exercises, and we have this in something called the Influence Accelerator Academy, which is like our online training thing for people to talk. We call it my ideal client, right? We call him Mick. And, um, but you're saying this – level of being uncomfortable, I need to understand that more because I would think that, well, let me let me ask the question differently um, or just ask you a question because I don't think one just came out of my mouth. All right.
1: What do you mean by becoming uncomfortable? Let's talk about that, please.
0: It's really
1: hard. It's really hard to say this is my brand lover and all of my marketing efforts are going to go after that specifically it's very comfortable to say, here is my target audience, and I'm gonna build marketing around that. 18 to 24 males that drink Red Bull and skateboard. Like, it's really easy to do a lot of demographic and psychographic stuff and say, this is my target audience, and build campaigns around that. But that's your bullseye on the dartboard. Your brand lover is that double bullseye that's right in the center of it. That is that it's, it's even more refined and it takes a ton more work and energy to really figure out who that person is and it's uncomfortable because you feel like you're taking your your viability as a product and making it smaller when in actuality you're doing the opposite it's like shooting with a sniper rifle as opposed to a shotgun you're going to hit a lot less but you're going to hit exactly what you're looking for when you hit you know when you aim with a sniper rifle We get so much,
0: Brent, we get so much resistance from that uh, because when you podcast, as you know, because that's part of a marketing strategy, is you have to close your eyes and see who you're talking to, Mm -hmm. right? Part of this whole uh, major, major laser laser focused sniper rival thing. The proof's got to be in the pudding, though. So, I mean, everybody points to Harley, dude. I mean, seriously, like... (laughs) Ultimate marketing company is Harley Davidson, but but that seems really out of reach for our Main Street experts who are watching this show and who listen to this podcast. How do you help Main Street experts do what you're talking about and then get success? And then the follow-up is then how long does it take to switch that focus and start seeing real engagement?
1: Yeah, I mean, it works on every level, not just with Harley Davidson. I'm working with an accountant right now and helping kind of develop his brand strategy, and <clears throat> walking him through all the exercises to determine his brand lover. Um, and even though he's 100% bought in, it's scary for him, because he sees it as well, that's 10 12, 15, 20 potential customers that may go to me. And want to hire me and i have to say no to because you're not my brand lover but as we talk and he realizes well i i'm not the best fit for them what's going to happen is after two or three months they're going to realize that i'm not the right solution i'm going to be back to square one finding somebody that i can build a long-term sustaining relationship with And, and to your second kind of question it's not an overnight switch i mean you know again with this this client of mine that i'm working with you know i've said to him that doesn't mean that you say no to everybody right now until you're in a place as a business, as an entrepreneur, where you can say no to those people. I mean, even even myself as somebody who preaches this every day, my company is a year old. I'm not saying no to things right now until I have built up enough that I can start saying no to some of that stuff.
0: That's really good advice because I think that a lot of highly analytical, uh, experts who are, where we really focus in from who our ideal client is and really who we want is our brand lover. Um, it's an either or not an and. So I'm hearing that from you, that, mm-hmm. you, that you are going to begin this journey of having brand lover focus, but you can still, well, you still have to put food on the table and pay your employees and your team members and all of that. Exactly. So that's super smart. You also talk about, so we talked about Cynic Circles, right? Which is wonderful. And a lot of that really gets back to mission and vision and purpose. Would you mind taking a few minutes to define in your mind, as a person who's really, you've really run the gambit uh, of of who you've helped market, right? And, And create brands for, what does mission, vision, and purpose mean to you?
1: It's everything to me as a brand. I mean, I I think a clearly defined brand purpose is probably the most important thing that you can write and craft as an organization, because what it does is it cements your forever statement. It basically says, this is who we are as a brand. This is our DNA. And we may go through our rebellious teen years and dye our hair purple, or we may buy a Harley or something. We may externally change what we look like as a brand, but this is our DNA and it is set in stone. It is hardwired into us. Um, and when you clearly define that, it makes things like writing your vision and your mission um, much easier. It allows you to set what your core values are as an organization and as a brand. Um, and so I'm a big believer in doing that. It's really, really hard work. It's kind of like writing your writing your brand lover and defining who that person is. Um, and it's one of those things that when you write it, it's gonna sound really silly and obtuse. Disney's brand purpose is to make people happy. I mean millions of organizations in the world could say their purpose is to make people happy, but when you think about Disney, Every single thing they do, literally, is to make people happy. And I and I've worked with them, and and, and they use that as a filter. Is this going to make people happy? Nope. Great, throw it out the window. We're not going to do it. Is this going to make people happy? great? How do we figure out how to do it and do it with excellence? Um, and so it's again, it's scary for a lot of organizations to do that because they want to talk about their product. They want to talk about the thing that makes them unique. You know, they go to this old. You know, unique selling proposition, the USP that we learned about in the 90s. And they're like, well, drive home. What's that one attribute, one attribute that makes us unique? And and you get to that as you do the work and as you start building your messaging. But you've got to start with your purpose. You've got to what you, define your DNA.
0: What is your DNA, Brent? Uh, let's share this with our audience. I mean, what, why yeah. do you get up?
1: Yeah, I, I, my, my purpose is just to do good. I... I am a big believer in doing good and so the brands that entrust me to work with them, I do good with their with their brand, I do good with their financial resources. I do good by my family, I do good with my friends, the communities that I live in, the people that work for me, equal work for equal pay. I mean, I just believe that when you do good it returns back to you. And so if that means that I'm consulting and doing pro bono work when I really don't have the time, I do it because it always it always comes back tenfold to me every time I put good out there, so.
0: So, so that's your foundation, mm-hmm. right? So, so what I'm hearing from you is that purpose is the foundation in which then you can filter your products and services off, but you have something in the middle there, uh, which, so, so that's our purpose. What, what, how do you define the word
1: vision then? vision's the thing that you're aspiring towards. It's your, what's my one day statement. It's what's the thing that I want to achieve that allows you to kind of, that you can define it a little bit. You know, if your purpose is really ethereal and leave the planet better than we found it, I mean, well what's the thing that we want to achieve that results in the planet being better than the way we found it. And so um, again, big statement needs to be kind of one of those lifelines that you're always pointing everything towards and and working for. But it's the, you know, what do we want to achieve one day? And
0: then the mission is a succinct description of those things. I mean,
1: help me with that. part. Missions today. What are we working on today that is going to get us where we want to be one day? And so, you know, mission is that thing that's the rallying cry for your organization. It's the thing that makes you magnetic to potential employees, to partners, service providers, you know, all sorts of things like that. Um, And it allows you to clearly define, including what your product or your good or your service is, um, and kind of a a big, bold brand statement for your organization.
0: You have made, you were a... um... Part of the wheel for many companies in the past, mm-hmm. right? What made you just be like, "I'm going to do this for me"? What what happened? What what philosophical shift happened in your brain?
1: Well, transparently, I got laid off because of COVID. Um, okay, so I mean, you know. <laughs> of invention, um, dude. You yeah. going? All right. Yeah, I mean, um, the the last three years of my life have been a series of unfortunate events that have actually been gigantic blessings in disguise um i was working with an organization doing kids and family marketing um, and got laid off and was distraught first time in my career i had ever been laid off and and it was one of those situations where i knew it wasn't right but i was a little bit kind of chicken to go out and 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 leave um, without something else lined up Um, and it was hurtful and it was painful. And I worked with a coach and kind of like talked through all of that. Um, and it helped me realize that I knew I wanted to own my own voice. Um, but I wasn't quite ready. So it took me to another job with the Globetrotters and then COVID hit. Um, and much like all live entertainment, that industry just collapsed. And so, um, before I was laid off, I had the conversation with my wife of like, let me spin this gift of time that I have right now, figuring out what's next for me and let's draw a line in the sand. I remember it was May 1st, we were having this conversation, 2020, let's draw a line in the sand three years from now and we'll make that the launch date <laughs> of, of my new company. And COVID had other plans. And so my three-year plan became my three-month plan, which became my three-week plan. And um, it, 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 it's exactly what I needed. It It allowed me to control my own narrative um, pick the brands that I wanted to work with. I mean, I'm blessed to work with some really great partners and clients right now. Um, and has allowed me to focus on those things where I know I'm genuinely providing value. If you think about any kind of corporate role we've ever had, probably 50% of our time are providing value. The other 50% of the time we're doing all the crap that nobody else is you know, supposed to be doing. Um, and, I, and it really makes sure that I can focus all my energy on providing value.
0: How are you attracting these people? So you you were a corporate guy, you got laid off, crash course on how to do all of this and turn the microscope on yourself. How are you getting your voice mm-hmm. out there? How are you attracting the right client or even just clients right now? Because you're brand freaking
1: new, dude. Yeah, yeah, I'm a baby. Um, <laughs> relationships. I mean, I... I I have always been the person that has um, been keen at saying, that's a good person for me to stay in touch with. And for me to build a lifelong relationship with um, the, the boss that I had when I was a focus group moderator, we've stayed in touch and became and became friends out of it. Uh, he referred my first client that has grown and, and really kind of put new on the map. Um, and then I've just been blessed with putting some big ideas out there on LinkedIn and it resonating with people. I mean, I'm I'm not afraid to say a lot of things that other people may be a little bit scared to say. Um, you know, I know you had Chris Nealon um, on the podcast and I'm not quite as big and as bold of a personality as Chris is. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to sit by and just let marketers be sloppy and lazy. I'm really going to be out there saying what needs to be said. And I think that message has resonated with a lot of people. Um, and I've kind of rallied around the concept of being better. So
0: Now, that makes a, a lot of sense. Are you translating that deep philosophical understanding of how you have taken new which, by the way, is spelled N-Y-O-O, which I think is freaking awesome. But uh, we'll, we are going to hopefully talk about that in a few minutes. But how do you teach your brands the importance of relationships like you're talking about? Because it's worked for you. And if we look at those big companies, like if you look at Apple, they've built a relationship with their clients. Uh how do you teach brands to build relationships with their clients like you have in order to have launched new and be successful like you are right now?
1: Yeah, it, it, it goes back to purpose. It goes, okay. it goes back to thinking about how do we market ourselves as a brand as opposed to a product. When you market a product, you're, you know, you're beholden to those four classic marketing P's. And if somebody undercuts you on price, they're going to jump ship somebody's red and you're blue and red's their favorite color. They're going to jump ship. But when you build yourself as a brand and you market yourself as a brand, there's a relationship that forms there. There's something that kind of cements and and Apple's a great example of that. I mean, it's the reason that people still line up on iteration 12 or 13 or whatever we're on the iPhone. They still line up days in advance to get the thing. When they could just show up the next day with no lines and no weight and no nothing. I mean, they've built this relationship with their customers because they know who you stand for as a brand and because you're magnetic to that person.
0: Because of what has happened here, specifically in the States, politically, uh, whether that's socioeconomically, politically, racially, from companies, all of those sorts of things. Do you recommend that brands take stands on controversial sort of issues? Because uh, there have been some brands that have
1: been quite successful doing that.
0: What is your opinion on that?
1: I think brands should define what they are for and what they are against. And then when they know what they are for and what they're against, if a cause fits into that, then you have that hard conversation. Again, it's what's your DNA as a brand. And if you have no place talking about whether we all should be getting COVID vaccines or not, because it's not part of your brand DNA, you need to completely stay out of that conversation. Okay. I mean, you know, like it, when you have a clearly defined purpose and a clearly defined why it makes it really easy to have a stance on a lot of these things. I mean, work from home. Like every, everybody was like work from home is great. And then now that we cannot work from home, every organization that promised we could work from home forever is going, "Well, we want you back in the office and eh, just kidding, you know, but like when you know what your why is and, and what your purpose is, it makes it easy to understand if that's a fight that we should pick or not."
0: In the book Fix, which was written by Ron How or Rob Howard uh, and and uh, Ryan Gill, right, the the big thing that they talk about and Chris Nealon talks about is picking a fight. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that a lot of people are terrified to pick a fight. Uh, why do you think that that is not normally part of a branding experience, but is something that people will experience with you to pick that for and against? Especially, let's talk about
1: the against. I think it's because we all wanna be like a beacon of positivity and we're scared that if we're for something and against something else, it means that we're not always positive. I mean, you know, you're taught in English that like the strongest type of language you can use is positive and affirmative and not negative or passive. Um, and so we're always worried that if we're against something or if we pick a fight of something that won't come across as authentic, um, and there's great ways to do it. I'm, I'm working with a with a CPG company right now and we're picking a fight with their main competitor. And it's because we know that as a brand, we clearly stand for something and it's what customers want. And we know that the competitor is just long entrenched. And so they've got that market share, but they're not what customers actually want. So it makes us authentic to our brand to actually pick a fight and to really kind of stand up um, around that idea. And again, it creates authenticity, it creates transparency, and it really resonates with customers when you do it right.
0: The most successful brands that we work with and companies that we work with have drawn that line in the sand. And Mm. even when you get close to that line, you know uh, that they're about to drop the hammer because they don't cross that line. Can everybody do this though, Brent? Uh, you know, we have a wide variety of people who listen to the show. You know, we've got people who are, who are really just starting up, you know, kind of babies like you are, even though you have a substantial amount of experience, 20 plus in, in this industry. How would you nudge them, right? What sort of advice would you give them that now is the time to do this and not wait?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say... Um the first three months and probably full transparency, it's still going on. There's gonna be many, many, many sleepless nights and you're gonna be scared to death. I mean, look, my family's never worried. We've never missed a meal. We've never missed a mortgage payment. We've been extremely blessed and taken care of, Um, but it's gonna be very, very scary. But I mean, four o'clock at Friday, I knock off. We start making tacos. We have some time together as a family. I mean. Again, if you as an individual know what your priorities are and what your clear why is, it's going to make it very easy to progress towards that as kind of an entrepreneur.
0: But a lot of motivation for entrepreneurs, right? I I think that's um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs. Their focus is different than yours because Mm -hmm. they have missed meals. They have missed mortgage payments. How do you empower them to keep doing the good work? Because we know it's going to last longer when they're hungry today.
1: Yeah. I don't know that I have a good answer for that. I, I, I rely on my faith. Um, and, and it's a rock and a foundation for me. Um, but, but I've never been in those shoes. And I would hate to try to provide an answer to somebody that feels like lip service because that would be kind of inauthentic to the question. I mean, it, there, are, there are exercises that you can do to kind of help set your brand up for success. You know, one of the exercises I love to do is define your brand commandments. What are your nevers? What are your things that you will never ever 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 do? And then what are the guardrails that you're gonna put in place? Because the great thing about a guardrail, it's like six, eight, ten feet off the cliff. If you bump up against that guardrail, you're gonna do a little bit of damage to your car, but you're not gonna go off the cliff. So define what your commandments are and then what are the guardrails that I'm gonna put in place so that I'm never up against that commandment and potentially having to break something that is so foundational and critical to me. And if I'm never gonna miss a meal as your commandment, then what's your guardrails that says, I'm gonna I'm gonna be humble and I'm gonna go bag groceries for a little bit to make sure that my family never misses a meal. I mean, like I'm gonna stay committed to my mission, but what are the things that I'm gonna do that ensures that I'm focused on that mission um, and I'm not changing who I am as an individual to get there. So somebody
0: had said, um, you know, you, you got to do what you love, man. And, and so a a friend of mine said, no, it's not do what you love is find something you love about what you do. And I love, I love the McDonald's thing or bagging groceries. I was recently talking to a, a, a close friend of mine who had been going through some harder times. And, and I said, you just need a job, right? I mean, look, you have to be able to still eat, pay rent, and do the things you need to do. And and yeah. his response Well, I you know, I I can't do that. And I'm like, No, you can do that. You just have Elevated yourself to the point where you don't think that that's an option. And I'm telling you, you don't have other options. And it it shouldn't be a source of pride negatively. It should be a source of, in my opinion, a source of pride positively, because you know what? I'm not going to let them win them, whatever them means to them. Um, I'm going to win for me and I'm going to stay focused on what I need to do because. Well, first off, it's very hard to get a job when you don't have a job. I think everybody knows that, right? It's very, very difficult. Um, And even if that job says that you're not uh, an architect, like you had said earlier, right? You've got your master's degree in architectural science or whatever, uh, but you're bagging groceries because you're between jobs. If I was an employer looking at you, I'd be like, dude, I'd rather hire that guy or that lady because she's willing to do the work to make ends meet rather than this other person who has, you know, six months gap in their CV. And, well, they made enough money where they could have done that. Now, if you were able to provide guidance to young brands and you had – and I don't like the one piece of advice because I think it puts people on the spot. But if you had advice to help somebody rise above the noise Except that they need to unapologetically be themselves and be their own loud, which is our mission here—not really our mission, our our focus here uh, at Proud Mouth. Because our mission is really to free the world's experts from sales. How would you? What advice would you give? What what nudges would you give? In in I, maybe it would. I would ask you to have it be a little bit inspirational because yeah. this these are still pretty tough times, brother.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, early in the cycle of COVID, I realized that I had to wake up every single morning and think about what was my priority and my mission for that day. And, and, and it started as being a brand leader with the Globetrotters. I had to think about what's the message that we need to communicate to our fans today and tomorrow morning there's a strong possibility that that message is going to need to shift um significantly and and i still do that now that i'm running my own agency i get up every morning and i think how can i do my best how can i provide good um, to my to my clients and to my partners um and where do i need to focus my energy and my attention today and every day it's going to be a little bit different and some days it's okay if it's my daughters need me today like like this week is my my daughter turns nine years old and i have literally just blocked off the entire calendar and it is all about her and she reminds me every single morning dad three days to my birthday Mm -hmm. and then guess who it's all about I'm like it's all about you little girl and and that's where I know I need to be and where I need to be present that day. Um, and not every day is life shattering and changing like that. But I mean, it's, what what do I need to do today? And understand that if I make a small step in the right direction, I'm at least pointed, continue to be pointed in the right direction. Yeah, we
0: firmly believe in the Japanese principle of, <clears throat> right? Uh, you know, gradual, continuous improvement. That's huge. Mm-hmm. For us we also believe in failing forward uh when kirk and i had built this whole thing we failed forward a lot uh sometimes it didn't feel so forward what was one of the biggest mistakes that you made and you had said that uh, right at the top of the show that there were a bunch of things that happened that ended up being blessings but let's talk about when you crashed and burned scraped your knees scraped your elbows you know you fell off the skateboard uh and you got back up what what led you to that fail and then how did you turn that into failing forward
1: when i started new i was extremely pompous and arrogant that i had this brand new agency model figured out that nobody had ever introduced before and it was going to be decentralized and my whole my whole mantra was everything you need nothing you don't and i was like i'm gonna hire full-time creatives and i'm gonna create these custom teams and i'm gonna use my relationships and platforms like commuto to build these teams. And I was I just thought I was great. And I was only talking to people that didn't know anything about the agency world. And they were like, it's brilliant. I've never heard of that before. You should do that. And then I started talking to people in the agency world. And they're like, Well, that's how every agency runs. Now. you know." So but what it helped me realize was that my DNA as a brain was not some gimmicky new structure of an agency. It was me, and it was the way that I think, and I needed to sell myself in the package of new. I needed to sell my mindset in the package of new, um, and it completely kind of rechanged the way I approached things. I mean, client one took almost six months to onboard, but client two and three and four and five had come much, much, much faster because I fell forward a little bit and kind of put my pride to the side and put my arrogant nature. I've been doing this for 20 years, everybody's going to want to work with me, you know, like the writing's on the wall. This is the perfect time to start a business. And it wasn't, you know, but.
0: A lot of times we've had guests on the show and it's been a very similar, uh, interesting fail forward, Brent, where Mm -hmm. they've had so much success leading up to whatever their next venture was that they thought that it was just, I just, I'm a lucky guy, right? I'm just yeah. going to continue to move forward. And, and the level of humility that I have found that we have been very lucky to get on this show uh, is, is, and they haven't always been humble. And I think that's what I just heard from you, which is a really good piece of advice, right? You can think the world of yourself, but be prepared at some point, you might need to humble yourself or if not guess what world is ready to humble you man it's super uh it, it it just seems to work that way okay uh as we wrap up the show today i always like to give everybody an opportunity to have a chance to say hey look this is what i can do for you or this is who i'm looking for when you think about your brand lover tell my audience who that is for you so that if they're listening they can pick up the phone and
1: give you a call yeah i mean my brand lover is a cmo at a mid organization that is continuously scratching their head because they know something is missing they've got all the processes in place they've got an amazing team that can do amazing work they've got top-notch creative agencies and media agencies and everything but they know that there's just there's like that corner piece to the puzzle that's missing. And 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 I can help them find that through doing a lot of that brand purpose work and really rallying everything around your why.
0: Okay. And they should definitely follow you on LinkedIn because you're quite active. Are there any other social media profiles that you're active on or is LinkedIn where you live? No,
1: LinkedIn's where I spend my time. Um, and every once in a while, I'll blog at newagency.com.
0: And we are going to make sure that we have those in the show notes. So, Brent, dude, thank you very much for taking time to being on the show today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Matt.
0: I appreciate it. All right, everybody. We hope that these live streams and podcasts will do really one thing and one thing only for you, is taking stories like Brent's story and empowering you to find a way for you to rise above the noise and to be your own loud. Our focus here is that you learn how to sell less. And if you heard what Brent was talking about today, he's not talking about selling anything. He's talking about magnetically attracting right? Your ideal brand lover so that they will want to do business with you. I don't know about you, but that's the way that we want to live our lives. Because I, as a, as a person who handles sales here at Proudmouth, the last thing I want to do is to feel like I'm unemployed every day, which I know a lot of you who deal with sales or tr- sales or trying to grow their agency feels. Last but not least, if you want to know more about how we have built what we've did, what we've built, and, and really what Brent has talked about is failing forward and, and understanding that he needed to build his processes and all of those things in order to run a successful you know, agency. We have a lot of that information for you influence accelerator academy we got a free version it's fantastic the 99 dollars version will give you more than you could ever imagine so uh for brent and everybody at new nyoo and all of us here at proudmouth i want to thank you for joining us on the show and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon Thank you for listening to Be Your Own Loud, where we reverse engineer success to help you accelerate your influence and break free from the torment of sales. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to our podcast, share with others in your company or profession, follow us on social media. This podcast is brought to you by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Visit us at proudmouth.com and join our Influence Accelerator Academy for free to enhance your marketing mindset and know-how.